Behind every song is a voice, and every voice is a story. The journeys behind the voices brings life to the music that shapes each of us. Brought to you by Visible Music College and in partnership with the largest online Christian music site new release today, this is Behind the Tunes, and I am your host, Austin Black. Together, we will explore those journeys, the journeys behind the artists that shape the landscape of today's music. Our guest today is Jeremy Horn, a native Memphian that cut his teeth at historic art and studios. We'll explore his path to becoming a worship leader and the something he hates that everyone else loves that I couldn't identify with more. This is Behind the Tunes. today with Jeremy Horn. Jeremy's the worship pastor at Renewal Church in Memphis, a recording artist. Uh, re- just released Never Knew. You can find anywhere you find music through Madison Line Records. New singles coming out November, December, and the full record in January. Jeremy, thanks so much for being here today, man. Bro, thanks so much for having me, man. It's great to talk to you. Excited to do this. Now, I we've never met in person, but... I have sung a song of yours, and I'm blanking on it, in a wedding twice. Okay. Was it First Love? That's it. That's it. That's it. I've okay. sung yeah. First Love two times in a wedding, and it's been a hot minute. And so I it sang, has been a hot minute. <laughs> I sang it in a wedding. Somebody heard. Somebody asked me to sing it. They said, will you sing this song? I said, sure. And so I sing this song, and then somebody in that at that wedding heard me sing it, came back, said, will you sing that song? In my in my wedding, I was like, fine, okay. And so we've never met. I've, cool, sung, I've sung that song twice, man. So it's I, I feel I'm like I'm at you. a few weddings myself. I've sung it at a few weddings myself. I, I, bet I guess you if you have. have a song that does well, I guess if you have a song that does well in your past, you just sort of have to get used to the idea that you're going to have to sing that song for the rest of your life, right? That's kind of that's kind of the idea. That's the that's people the, want to hear you sing the songs that they know. That's it. That's <laughs> it. So, uh, so we I feel like we've spent some moments together as I learned those songs, even though we haven't spent any moments together yet. But we will soon. We will soon. Uh, let me ask you this, Jim. Let's just dive in. Um, when did you begin playing music? A long time ago, in the days of yore. <laughs> <laughs> Man, when I was fifteen, I got a guitar when I was fifteen. My older brother, he's 10 years older than me, and he grew up playing guitar. And so just in all the season, I did kind of laugh about this, you know, when Eddie Van Halen died a couple of weeks ago or whenever it was, like just realizing like that that kind of, that sound was rolling out of my brother's bedroom for, you know, the better part of uh, 10 years when, I, when he was living when I was still a kid. And, he, you know, he, so I grew up hearing guitar up the, up the stairs and it was this magical thing I was like well what's going on in there my brother you know playing learning to play guitar and he was a he was definitely like an 80s shredder guy back then so i kind of always kind of had a propensity to, towards music and we had a piano in my house that i was always trying to learn how to play it but i really got serious about playing when i was 15 so, so that's a long time that's 
I'll, I'll give away my age. That's 27 years ago. <laughs> we'll do the math later. And so you, uh, so you get the guitar at 15. Your brother is kind of, I guess, one of the reasons you wanted to, I guess, get a guitar. Was your family musical? You said you had a piano in the house. Was it a musical family, or was it just one of the, you just had a piano there? Yeah, you know, I mean, like I, I, I wouldn't say that we were that they were that's like my, my folks. Were, my dad plays piano, but it wasn't like something that we were all. Re- regularly doing you know what i mean it wasn't like we didn't grow up like you know we weren't the partridge family we weren't like going around but you know my dad he played piano and played growing up and you know might have played some some churches on sunday my grandmother my grandmother played the organ every sunday in church growing up so i mean yeah i guess in some ways you know there was there's definitely sort of that musical heritage in my family playing but nobody nobody professionally i guess until I just decided that this is what I was going to do with my life. You know what I mean? So, but my brother's super talented. He could be a professional musician too. You know, just kind of, we all have different journeys in life and make different choices. And so, yeah, I'm sort of the first guy to sort of, for lack of a better word, make a living making music, you know? Yeah. Now you're a worship leader. At what point after that did you begin leading worship? Well, I played in, I played in some Christian bands from the time I was 16 till the time I was probably 20 and somewhere in there, it's just a natural progression of being in youth group. And this is the, this is one of the best things about being in a, in a, in a, in a youth group that's really open to things like that. I had a student pastor that sort of just let us lead worship for people when probably we really didn't have any business leading anybody. We were just still trying to learn the instruments, but it was still, in the days where it was all like, hey, you play drums, you play guitar, you play, you know, we just put a band together. We would, we would lead for, we would lead for different youth events. And I, I use the word lead very loosely. We would make noise for a youth, you know, for a youth <laughs> event and try to, you know, make our way through it. But I'm really grateful for that because those, those are the kind of things that help you get better, you know. My son, who's, who's now starting to play bass and guitar, different things. I just told him, I mean, you got to get in front of people and, and play music if you want to get better. That's how you get better, right? It's, it's to just get the pressures on. you got to do it. So I'm grateful for the guys in my life, like Phil Newberry at Bellevue Baptist Church, different people like that who just let me, who let me get in front of people and start doing it, you know? Now, I know for a while you were signed to Ardent Records uh, right here in Memphis. Well, let me ask you this. Is Memphis home for you? It is, man. I was born and raised here. Born and um, raised. Still live here. Still live here. I love it. And never really had a reason to think it was time to leave or go somewhere else. Um, it's a great town. It's a great music town. It's a great food town. It's a great just people. You know, I mean, if you know, the South is wonderful when it comes to stuff like that. And Memphis is just a a prime example of that. It's, Memphis has got a lot of vibe and a lot of soul that a lot of other places don't have, you know? And so I don't take that for granted, for sure. For sure. I love Memphis as well. And so uh, for a while, you were on under the label Ardent Records here in Memphis. What was your journey like from, I'm 15-year-old Jeremy, I get a guitar, I begin playing with Christian bands, um, you know, until I'm about 20, I'm leading worship at my church loosely uh, somewhere through there. And at some point, you're on Ardent Records. What was your journey like from 15-year-old Jeremy getting a guitar to being signed to Ardent Records? Well, I'll I'll try to give you the five minute version of that. I understand. It's obviously a long a long a long story, but I grew up, you know, do, playing in church and playing in Christian bands. And back then, you know, you, there were still places for us to go play out. You know, pre COVID, you could actually go play music in front of people. It was <laughs> incredible. 
it's almost like feels like so long ago that we were doing that bit but um yeah so i grew up here and when i turned 18 a friend of of mine got me an interview at Ardent Studios to be what Ardent calls the night guy. Basically, the night guy is just a guy who watches the door, and makes coffee, and they clean up after sessions, and they break down all the gear, and they put all the knobs on the recording consoles back to back to zero, basically. And I, so I got a job there when I was almost 18. I was 17, about to turn 18. And man, um, I'll tell you, being a part of that place, that, uh, Art Art Studios, which has a, a, a mainstream label and a Christian label, is, was run by a guy named John Fry, who was a believer and a wonderful guy, but also, you know, just a a really a really good businessman who kept an amazing studio open for fifty years, you know. And and uh, so, just working there, I tell everybody, you know, I, I went to Bible college, but I really went to John Fry University, which means mm. that this working in art, it was just an education. You know, you learn so much about not only the music business, but how recording works. And gosh, man, and the best part about it is the people there that I grew up around, like Dana Key and Pat Scholes and John Hampton, all these guys are legends in the music business, like DeGarmo Key and John John Hampton produced Gin Blossoms and The Replacements, just tons of incredible, you know, uh, artist and so you're just gleaning you're just around those guys all the time and you're just learning I'm just a sponge I'm learning everything that you could possibly learn from these guys and and they're all teachers you know I mean a lot of people when it comes to in that world they don't want to give up their secrets so to speak and those guys were nothing but open books to all of us and I, I'll tell you there's a lot of guys in Memphis Tennessee and beyond who owe John Fry and John Hampton and Dana and all these different people a lot because they are the reason why we're able to do what we do, you know, so well. And so I just work, uh, working there as a teenager, I was working at, I was working there at night. And then at some point, Dana, Dana Keefe, you know, who was part of DeGarmo and Key, he asked me to be his A&R assistant. And so what I was, what I was there doing was just listening to, albums people submitting music to want to be signed to the label or just trying to pick different bands to sign and i was helping you know this is back in the day when we were still sending cds or different things to different radio stations and doing radio servicing so i learned i sort of learned that side of the business where you know uh got to got to work with some uh, guy named christine mundy who was amazing and Island repay just a lot of awesome business folks who understand the christian music business in that way but all the while still writing my own music and leading worship and writing worship songs for my local church. I never really, I never really saw myself being like, I'm going to go work at a church one day. I just, I guess, I mean, maybe some people think I'm going to grow up and be a pastor. I just didn't even think that was realistically like a real option. You know what I mean? I thought you had to sort of had to be in that, like, you just kind of, you just kind of, you're in the family and it's sort of, and you are to a certain degree and you kind of come into that. So working there and then I was going to Bible college while I was, working at Ardent for those five years. And then when I graduated from Bible College, I got a job offer from my church. And so I started going to work for them. And they wanted to build a studio and start making worship records. And this is probably late, early 2000s, late 90s. And so I kind of did that. But I was all the while still uh, making music and recording. Well, um, just a 
fast forward a little bit, I ended up signing with a with a with a label called Music from the Grove that Bruce Carroll started. Okay. And um, I put out a record with with, uh, with those guys, and then things just sort of shifted. You know, I mean, there's always a running joke like, uh, you know, how do you start a re- record label? Uh, have two million dollars and bury it in the ground, and then forget where you buried it, right? <laughs> it's just always, the music business can be risky, you know. And somewhere along the way, uh, my deal with them was up, and so I was in the process of making another. Um, was in the process of making another live worship record. And I was talking to the folks at Integrity Music, and we'll get into all the details, but that just didn't work out the way I thought it would. And so I ended up talking to John Fry uh, back at Ardent about this record that I was doing, and if, they, if we knew anybody who would want to, you know, distribute it or put it out, hoping that you know he could get me in contact with somebody else at Integrity. And he just said, "Well, um, well, why don't you why don't you just let us put it out?" And I said, "Well, I would love that. You know what I mean? Because I mean." That's family to me. It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, Ardent has always been my home base. It's always been where I've mostly made all of my records and made you know ninety percent of the music that I've made there. I'm just comfortable there, and so that's family to me. And so it just made sense, you know. And so that's how I ended up signing and sort of sort of coming full circle and being an artist on the Ardent on the Ardent label. And um, and, and 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 that was an incredible journey, you know. And it was it was all good, you know. Sadly. Uh, John's not with us anymore, and so it just made sense for me to sort of move on to something new, and so that's where I, where my partnership with Madison Line now comes in, and I'm really grateful for it because I love all the folks there. I know a lot of folks there as well. So Memphis is a small town, but I'll tell you, the Christian music community is really a small community. When you when you kind of get into it, you'll you realize pretty quickly how fast you can know a lot of people, and it's been a lot of great people, you know.
with Jeremy Horn. He's the worship pastor at Renewal Church in Memphis. New album, I Was a Stranger, coming out fully in January. You can find the first single, Never Knew, is out now. Jeremy, do you remember the first album you ever bought? The first that I bought with my own mm-hmm, money? Your own money. Okay, I, I'm pretty sure that with my own money, I bought Michael Jackson's Thriller, and probably whatever that was. 81 or two or three or right around there. I remember having that album and just putting the headphones on, you know, and just getting blown away. But what happens? First single I think I ever bought was like a B-52 single or like We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Joel, something like that, you know, like single cassettes, you know. It's funny how you remember all these things. First CD I ever bought was Octune Baby by U2. <laughs> well, you know, well, you know, it's funny, and I asked that question because it does seem that every, for whatever reason, we all remember that. It was, I don't know, and, I, and I've always been fascinated as to why do you remember that moment with our own money. That, that's usually the different part. With my own money, I bought this record right here. And so you, you mentioned the B-52s, you mentioned Michael Jackson, Billy Joel. Were those influences of you musically, or who were your influences musically as you were getting into music? Man, you know, I think all things influence you. I wasn't playing music quite then, but I remember just like, I, I could tell you the first time that I remember like really being affected by music, other than like being to church, you know, and just like, you know, not even really knowing what this, that the Spirit of God, what anybody's doing. But I was literally telling somebody this the other day. Do you know the song Electric Avenue? Oh, yeah. We're going to rock down to Electric Avenue. Yeah. I remember like being really small. I mean, I don't even probably. I might have been three or four. I remember putting headphones on and hearing like all the sounds that like the barrel thing and like the guy, like the bow coder, all the stuff the guy was singing through. And I remember just being like, I thought, oh my gosh, like a robot made this. You know, like as a kid, you're just like, I remember just being blown away by what I was hearing in, in the headphones the first time I heard that. So obviously, I think like we're influenced by everything. You know, sometimes people will say, they'll listen to an album of beers and they'll say, oh, I can hear this. In it, and you might not have even been trying to reference that, but all of that stuff is just swimming around mm. in your in your <laughs> musical DNA. You know what I mean? It's like I'm not trying to make something sound like the Beatles or Tom Petty or whatever else, but that stuff comes out because that's what you sort of cut your teeth on, you know. And so, I have a lot of influences. If you want to talk about it, I'd love to talk about. It. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, I love all kinds of music. I think most people who are in music probably have that same answer, you know. Let me ask you this. If you could open for anybody, and think of it more along the lines of you're getting to hang with them, share the stage that day with them. If you can open up for anybody, dead or alive, who would you choose? Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat Yeah, because there's a lot of guys in this band. I'm going to say I would want to open up for the Traveling Wilburys because then you get George Harrison, Jeff Lynn, Tom Petty, Bob Dylan, Roy Orbison. You get to hang out with all those guys. So I'm going to say I'm going to say that, and then just by 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 default, then you get to hang out with Mike Campbell and Jim Keltner and all these other amazing musicians. So that's who I would pick. That may be the best answer yet. I think you nailed it. Yeah. You, 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 Thank you, sir. Because you got to cover so many bases in one. Well done. Well done. Again, we're here with Jeremy Horn. Jeremy, do you remember the first song you ever wrote? Uh, possibly, yeah. I, you know, it was, you know, I mean, I think you can appreciate the fact that you got a lot of write. You got you to write a lot of really not great songs before you ever even write a good one. 
And if you're lucky, you might write a few great ones in your life. You know, I mean, I tell people all the time, like songwriting is like fishing. You know, some days you catch nothing. Some days you catch a bunch of little things that you throw back. But every once in a while, you catch, you catch a wall hanger, you know, like a whopper, you know. That's actually a really and, good uh, analogy. Yeah, man. You know, that's just kind of how you, but you got to do it. You got to sort of, you know, you don't know what you're going to get, but you got to go fishing, you know. It, it's not going to jump in the boat. So, <laughs> well, uh, well, I that, do remember, but, yeah, it's a long time ago, man. Yeah, in that same vein of, of talking about the fishing, and stuff, what, what is your songwriting process like? Uh, man, I, it goes in spurts for me. It could be different, different things. I find... I find that I can go months and months and not write, but then when I do sort of like write, I guess for lack of a better, when I start to prime the pump of writing, I sort of, I can really stay in that rhythm. Does that make sense? Like when I know it's time to write, I can just sort of get in that mode. And so I definitely go in spurts, but I I definitely, I'm one of those guys that sort of, I mean, some people, there's a lot of people who, who you know, have this, what call it the spirit or the muse or whatever else. I'm one of those guys that where the spirit or that sort of equaling will tap me on the shoulder and it'll be one o'clock in the morning. You know what I mean? I'll be, I'll be like, winding down, I'm about to go to sleep. And it's like, it's, it starts happening. When it happens, that's the moment you're like, okay, I got to get up out of the bed because there's something's going to happen. You know what I mean? So I'll use a little jump up. So I'm, I, believe it or not, a lot of times I'm a late night rider just on my own. Obviously, when you're writing with other people, if you go to Nashville or different places, which I've done some of that, you know, they're very, it's very structured. It's like, I have a 10 o'clock session and a 2 o'clock session, mm-hmm. and you write two songs a day. And, man, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's, I mean, that's the that's the profession of songwriting. Those guys, they're writing songs every day, and, you know. And like, like I said earlier, if you go fishing enough, you're going to catch something, you know. Those guys write hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of songs a year to turn into their publishers. But, you know, and that's, that can be good, too. So there's a million ways to do it, but my process is always just sit down with a guitar, make a little melody, start writing together, and just start singing. I, I write the lyrics and the, and the music usually at the same time. It just kind of happens, you know, mm-hmm. For the, even for the first pass. I don't, and then, then you sort of circle back around and put on the editing eye or put on the, you know, it's like any writing, you know, you, it's like the first pass is not ever the finished pass, you know. Right. And then you then the work, you know, the work of the work comes in, you know, you know, the what do they say? Songwriting is 10% inspiration and 90% perspiration. Mm, so you yeah. take the 10% and then you do the work to clean it up and make sure it's right afterwards. But you got to have the 10% to get the song, you know? So yeah. Yeah. we're here with Jeremy. That's how I kind of approach it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and, and I love to ask that question because everybody is different, you know, and, and there's no, there is no quote unquote right or wrong way to do it. You have to, but you have to find your, you have to find how you're going to go fishing, right? And it's just, That's you're right. going to do it. That's a great analogy. So, Jerry, again, we're here with Jeremy Horn. Jeremy, you've been playing music live for a hot minute now. And, uh, and one thing I know is uh, live music is a magical thing, but there's always some goofy stuff that happens along the way. Do you have a most embarrassing on-stage moment that jumps out to you? Oh, buddy. <laughs> uh, I, got, I got a bunch of them, a bunch of those moments. But we've, maybe you had this happen before. This is something that's just the first thing that popped in my head. Dude, I was leading worship at a church in New Jersey. It was a pretty, pretty big church. Like, a, you know, like, you know, just like, you know, just, I mean, I don't think about how big or small a church is both times, but, you know, 
it was noticeable enough that you're like, okay, this is a large, this is a large venue for lack of a better word. This is a large, there's a lot of people in here. And, um, we're starting to lead this song. And this is so, this is probably, I don't know, 10 years ago. So we're, we're doing the song Everlasting God, you know, the song Britton Brown wrote and, uh, you know, everybody, there's a lot of people know that song. It's a very popular song, right? So I capo up, capo, put the capo on the third fret, start the song because it starts with an acoustic guitar, but we're supposed to be, I, I capo a half step down from where you're supposed to be. And so the band comes in, and dude, it just sounds like a Tyrannosaurus Rex is screaming in the PA. You know what I mean? It's like literally like there's nothing you could do except for literally just stop and just apologize to everybody. I remember just stopping and being like, oh my gosh, sorry, everybody. And I remember just going, I promise we're all professional musicians, you know, and got to laugh and then change, you know, then restart the song. You know, it's like there's some of us you just want to crawl, crawl over <laughs> when that happened. Um, do you know Paul Bolas? He wrote Open the Eyes of My Heart. Yeah. He's written a, a bunch of amazing songs. <laughs> he messaged me and said, you just got to tell everybody it's the jazz version. That's right. You do that. You know, <laughs> this is your half step away from being in the right note. You know, but dude, it was a total train wreck. It's just, you know, like, you know, it's rare on the road when you like have to literally stop in front of everybody and start the song again. But it's okay. You know, I, right. believe it or not, I kind of welcome those moments. I, you know, that's embarrassing, but I think sometimes, and they, you know, this is a, not to get into a bunch of, of philosophical ideas, but I will say this. There's there's some good things about having humanity come out in our worship, you know, oh, <laughs> like yeah. like like we're not we're humans and we're infallible. Sometimes sometimes our worship worship can be too good. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like it can be so clean and so perfect that, um, you know, you're not even sure that you need the Holy Spirit to show up. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Because it's so good. You know what I mean? So I always just try to wear that kind of stuff with humility, because man, at the end of the day, like excellence isn't playing perfect it's playing to the best of your ability so that's all we're trying to do you know and just not not take myself too seriously i think i think most people who have led for any length of time you know, are, are you gonna be constantly unhappy that's really great advice for uh for anybody that's, that's kind of beginning especially in in music of any kind especially leading worship and and for me like it seems like those days sometimes where just something ridiculous happens um or days that god really just does something big and many many times and i always take those just reminders of him telling me i don't i don't need you <laughs> you know i want you yeah. to be a part of this with me but just understand i'm the one uh, that does the work and you just rest in me. That's that's really great advice and, and a beautiful picture. Uh, again, we're here with Jeremy Horn, uh, Worship Pastor Renewal Church in Memphis. Jeremy, we're getting ready to wrap up here. I like to end with a little rapid fire. You got your game face on? Let's do it, bro. All right. What's your favorite junk food? My favorite junk food is probably, if I'm just going to like be bad, Cheetos, like regular Cheetos, just like full trans fat, like horrible for you, like just full of grease, you know, like make your pants tight instantly. Yeah, that, I'm gonna, that's my favorite kind of go-to chip. Well, let's say in the same vein then, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? <laughs> oh, dude, chocolate all day long. All give, right. give, me, give me chocolate. Yeah. Name one of the seven dwarfs. Sleepy, right? Yeah, that's my favorite one. What type of milk do you drink? Say it one more time. What type of milk do you drink? Milk? Mm-hmm. Just 2%, 2%, usually 2%. 2%. 
in the yeah. mo- in the movie about your life, the Jeremy Horn story, what actor would play you? You know what? Believe it or not, when I was a kid, I kind of have a nasally voice, and so people tell me that like I sound like Nicholas Dick Cage, I guess. You know, because you know, I tell people all the time, I got a face for the radio, man. It couldn't be some like super like stunner dude. You know what I mean? Come on, I, I know, I, I know, I know my limitations. You know, that's right. <laughs> no, no, you're lame. No, you're lame. I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. Yeah, dude. Batman or Superman? Uh, I'm gonna go Batman. If you had to teach any subject in school, what would it be? Uh, history, U.S. history, for sure. You have a time machine for one day. When and where do you go? Oh, dude, I don't know, man. The spiritual answer is obviously you go to see go to see the crucifixion. Uh, the not spiritual answer is like go into. I don't know, see the Beatles like in the Cavern Club or something, you know what I mean? In like our early 60s, that's amazing, you know, to say you saw that. Do you sing in the shower? No, I do not. What's your favorite movie? My favorite movie? Oh, gosh. Shawshank Redemption is pretty great. Oh, that's a heavy one. All right. And last, yeah. <laughs> last but not least, What's something you hate that everyone else loves? Bro, um, I hate this with with all the passion of my soul. I can't wait. I can't wait. I cannot stand peaches. Oh, I'm with you. fruit peaches, dude. There are so many people that love it. I'm (laughs) kidding you not. Like, like, the most gaggable thing on the planet to me is a peach. Dude, if somebody said, hey, eat a peach or get a root canal... I would say, what time is my appointment? <laughs> I'm with you, man. My first job was on a peach farm. I've seen oh. things. I've seen things you can't come back from. Oh, bro. They're just so ugh, I hate that. Like, so many people like that. I don't, there's not that snappy thing that does in the back of your, like, back of your tongue. So, ugh. So just, right now, there's a ton of people right now going, that's crazy, I love peaches. They are, they are. They're so awesome. I cannot, I cannot handle them, bro. No, people think I'm nuts. I'm like, no, you're, you you just got bad taste. I'm with you. I, I support this a thousand percent, man, after my own heart. High here, five, man. bro. Well, <laughs> well, he's Jeremy Horn, again, the worship pastor at Renewal Church in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, new record, I Was a Stranger, comes out January 2021, but check out... His newest single, Never New, out now, and new singles coming out November and December. Jeremy, thanks so much for hanging out today, man. Man, it was wonderful. Let's do it again soon. You got it. We'll catch up soon. Have a good one. You've been listening to Behind the Tunes with Austin Black, produced by Grayson Rucker. A special thank you to our sponsor, Visible Music College, a music and worship school that trains and disciples students for the music industry and the church. You can learn more about them at visible.edu. And you can reach the show at behindthetunes at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Be sure to tune in next time as we go Behind the Tunes.